Welcome to the first episode of the Wheats on Your Mind podcast. My name is Aaron Harries. Wheats on Your Mind is brought to you by the Kansas Wheat Commission and Kansas Association of Wheat Growers. For the inaugural episode of Wheats on Your Mind, uh, we have invited a guest who is recognized by many wheat farmers across the state. It's a pleasure to be joined by Romulo Lolato, Kansas State University's Extension Wheat and Forage Production Specialist. So instead of focusing on a specific wheat agronomic topic, uh, we thought it would be good for people to learn more about Romlo's background. So welcome, Romlo. Well, thanks, Aaron. It's uh, it's a pleasure to be here today. I'm honored to be the first guest on your podcast. It is the inaugural podcast, and we thought uh, you've you've got a good story to tell about coming from Brazil to Kansas. Uh, you know, I think... Uh, think where you're from is the 30th parallel in South America, and you're here now in the 30th parallel in North America. Uh, tell, tell us where you're from in Brazil. Yeah, no, well, I'm from a town that's called Londrina. It's in the south part of the country, right? So Brazil being a tropical country, uh, but a very large one, it does have some very different perspectives in agriculture, and, and not only in agriculture, but cultural and things like these as well, from what we have here in the U.S., um, but being from the south, in the south hemisphere country, then it's where it gets a little bit colder, even though it's not nearly as cold as uh, what we have here here in Kansas. So yeah, I was born and raised in uh, in that town. Uh, we actually had a family farm. We still have that family farm out there, and uh, that's kind of where my roots are and, and, and were, and that's kind of how I got involved in agriculture in the first place, was just being involved in our family farm operation, even though it's a very different uh, agriculture than what we have here uh, in Kansas and in and, and U.S. in general. Okay. So you're from Parna State in the south of Brazil, so for people who are geographically challenged like I am, tell us tell us where things are on the map there. Brazil's an awfully big country. <laughs> It is. And so if you think uh, of the, the, the map of Brazil, right, in the very south part, there's only three states and one is stacked on top of the other. The southernmost state, uh, Rio Grande do Sul, that's probably where it would be most similar to conditions here in Kansas. Uh, you go up north from there a little bit, uh, you, you get into the state of uh, Santa Catarina. And over there, uh, you know, it's a lot of rolling hills and landscape. So not much in terms of agriculture, but a lot of uh, swine and poultry uh, production um, and beautiful beaches. So if, <laughs> if you're interested in going to a very nice beach, you know, that's, that's definitely the place to go. Um, and then just north of there is uh, the state where I'm from, the state of Paraná. And a really big agricultural state. Um, it is a transition of what I mentioned, the rolling landscapes of Santa Catarina to, as you're getting north, um, in, in, within our state, right? Uh, as you go north, you get into more uh, producing land, like uh, where corn and soybeans and wheat are grown. Uh, it's cold enough where we can still grow wheat. Um, but as you go north within that state, you start getting in regions that are more similar, for example, to the state of Sao Paulo than many may have heard. And you get into sugarcane production and orange production uh, towards the, the, the east side of the state. And if you go north, but on the west side of the state, it continues on corn and soybeans and, and wheat as well. So very diverse agricultural state. It's a um, big producer of soybeans, I believe is number two. In the, in the country, a uh, big producer of wheat as well, historically number one, but I think this year fell down to number two. Um, 
big producer of corn for our standards. doesn't compare to the standards of, of the U.S. in terms of corn production. Um, biggest producer of uh, edible beans, right? So in Brazil, we eat a lot of edible beans, like pinto beans and black beans and things like this. And that state is the number one producer of, of uh, edible beans in the country. So really strong ag agricultural production. Kind of that's where uh, my roots are, yeah. So how big is uh, Paraná State compared to like the state of Kansas? I think they're fairly comparable in size. Perhaps Paraná may be a notch smaller mm -hmm. than what Kansas is. Kansas is a fairly large state, right? But uh, they, they would be fairly comparable in terms of size. Although we don't have nearly the variation in weather that we have here in Kansas, especially in terms of rainfall, right? Because here in the state, we go for, from what maybe. 15 inches of rainfall in the west or something, 15 to 20 or something per year, and you go to, what, near 40? 50, yeah. 50 yeah. in the east. Yeah. Yeah, there, there in Brazil where I'm from, we're in the in the 70 to 80 range. Wow. So, <laughs> yeah, it, it just, it rains a lot. And so that, uh, that amount of rain, combined with not having the cold winter that you guys have here in the U.S., really is, is what uh, makes our agriculture so different in terms of intensity uh, as compared to what we have here in Kansas. Yeah. So I think my impression was, and maybe most people, is that the large agriculture in Brazil is in the northern states. I, what we see on video all the time of these these humongous fields that seem to never end with you know dozens of combines in them. But uh, it's impressive to hear that, that uh, a lot of the soybean production there in the south too. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you're right. Um, if you go to Mato Grosso, you know, and uh, Goiás and other states in that uh, central west part of the country, uh, they they are newer development, right? And so they, they, they haven't been developed for as long as the states in the south have. Uh, but th that's where you will find those large, almost industrial type of agriculture, right? Uh, producers that have thousands and thousands and thousands of hectares or acres as compared to, to the, the farmers in the south. Very different in terms of um, the type of producer that you find as well, right? When you're looking at south, southern Brazil and where I grew up, these would be mostly uh, family farms. Uh, they would be much smaller, right, than what we would have in the northern part of the country. Uh, but many times the technology adoption is pretty high as well. Um, different, of course, right? Those guys will be very sharp in terms of they know what they need to do and, and, and getting a high-yielding high crop. Uh, but in terms of scale, absolutely, as you go to Mato Grosso and Goiás and the northern part, part of the country, that's where you get into larger-scale industrial type of, of agriculture. Yeah. So this, the smaller farmers in the south, are, are they landowners? Do they rent the land that they, they farm? So there's a mix and there's been an increasing tendency of uh, the larger farmers becoming larger, right? So many of the, those very small farmers uh, may be either trying to find some alternatives, like, for example, vegetable, vegetable production or horticulture or something like this, um, or kind of being either leased out or, um, or, or sold to bigger farmers. Uh, so even though they are smaller, there is a tendency of the bigger getting bigger. Yes. So that's kind of parallel to what's happening in the United States here. You have to kind of get a little bigger with your farms uh, to maximize efficiencies and take advantages of prices and things like that. What are the similarities and the differences between a farmer in Brazil and a farmer in Kansas in terms of 
you know how they how they secure their crop inputs, their seeds, their fertilizers, their their chemicals, everything like that. Yeah, that's that's a nice question, and you know I've uh, I've traveled quite a bit around the country there before coming to the U.S. Um, when in my previous position back in Brazil, and I got to meet many farmers and being from a family farm myself as well, right? I think those compares those comparisons they become interesting there. First, I guess before going into the the input side of things, if we just go in the mentality, right, and and farmers as as persons, right. Um, they're very similar. They're very similar. My tendency is like they are just good people. Yeah. That's kind of like a, how I how I and that's why I wanted to work in with them, right. right? And what do I mean by that? Well, I remember very well when we were traveling in the westernmost part of Goiás, which is like almost middle of nowhere. Back in two thousand and nine, when I was doing that, and there was no small towns around or nothing like that, and it was around lunchtime, right? And so we stop in a farm and we're talking to the farmer and they're just like, hey, have lunch with us, right? Come here, sit down, ha- yeah. let's have a coffee and, and just eat with us. And so, and I remember getting in and they have this stove that was uh, with um, with wood, right? So mm-hmm. this is like, a, how, how do you call those uh, stoves that you put wood? Wood stove. Wood stove. I mean, yeah, wood stove, yeah. Yeah, and those big iron pans and just like delicious food, as good as it gets, right? Just mm-hmm. being made right there. And so, so, so that's the picture that I have in my mind of when they ask me, how's a farmer like? It's like that. You're talking and, and they're helping you uh, answer whatever question you have about their operation and things like this. Just open people and then they just invite you to sit down and have lunch with them like that. And that's been the, the experience that I have had here in, in Kansas as well. Sure. I travel a lot. I get to sleep in a lot of hotels and motels many times as well around the state. And I have had numerous farmers just say, hey, I've got an extra bedroom. If you need some place to mm-hmm. sleep, just let me know when you're around here and, and we'll be happy to have you. So um, just very welcoming people like that. And so that's a big similarity that I see mm-hmm. in farmers in general just here and there. It's just like just great people. Yeah, great. So, yeah, let's let's back up a little bit and and. Back in time, we'll test your just your memory here. So when when you were a kid, I mean, what was your daily life on the farm? What was your responsibility when you were a younger person? Well, now that may be where there's a big difference. <laughs> and so so let me get over that a little bit, right? In that here, it's when you say you're from farm and things like these, you're, you're actually waking up every day in that farm and helping everyday operations, right? That's kind of what a farm kid is here. In Brazil, uh, it's a little bit of a different reality in terms that usually the landowners, they usually don't live on the farm, mm-hmm. right? You, you usually you have hired help who lives on the farm and is there doing the everyday operation. And like growing up, uh, both of my parents worked. Right, my mom. She she was a dentist there, and my dad. He was a researcher working with edible beans and and kind of like an agronomist for edible beans and extension guy. And so we actually lived in a city that was about one hour away oh, okay. from the farm. But every single weekend, we would spend my 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 father and I, my dad and I, we would go to the farm and spend spend there. Right, so we were more. I mean, we were running all the fields and doing very detailed scouting, and that's kind of where I learned the importance of being there and looking at it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but kind of when it came to, okay, this is what we need to 
we, we were more managers, if that makes sense, okay. right? So, so I learned the, the boots on the ground for him because he, even though he was a manager of the farm, he, he knew the importance of being there and looking at your crop. So we were not just looking from uh, from the road at 60 mile per hour, <laughs> right? Right. Uh, but we were actually just like spending full weekends just scouting the crop uh, every, every, I mean, every single field that we had. So that was a big difference, right? I, I guess I cannot relate to saying, well, I would wake up and go milk a cow or something. I know that that was my dad's reality growing up. Oh, yeah. Uh, right. And then, it, yeah, he would wake up and milk a cow and he would sell milk. So he would go around the town and with, with milk and just selling that milk, right? Mm-hmm. So that was that was his reality growing up. Uh, and then my reality was different because we were living in, in, in the nearby city. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, you just uh, tugged on a heartstring there because I grew up on a dairy, but I, I imagine <laughs> I imagine it was a little bit different for your dad. So he was he was actually taking milk into town, going around selling to businesses. Is that what he was doing? Yep, he was proud that he started working at seven years of age. Wow! Yeah, doing that right. Yeah. He he started doing that at seven years of age, just like uh, milking the cows and taking to town and, and selling, and then from there. Um, he just continued working through. So he could have retired quite early, but he just wasn't mentally ready mm-hmm. to retire because um, <laughs> because he just loved what he was doing later in life. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's talk more about your dad. I met your dad uh, the first year you were in Kansas. Uh, you had been hired at Kansas State, and I think you've been here almost seven years now. Yes. Six, seven years. Seven years. And uh, taking Romulo on the wheat tour, which is happens every uh, every May in Kansas, where people from all around the country travel around the state and look at the wheat crop and assess it. And I was in day one, I think, in the car with you, your father, and um, another lady from Foreign Ag Service in Topeka, and just the you know the four of us driving around in a car. And your dad doesn't didn't speak English, not much English, anyhow. <laughs> so you were you were translating, getting to know you, and. Uh, Interesting story. I think the day we were driving down the highway towards Wichita, we had just left the uh, Big Well Museum at Greensburg. And I, I look over to the left, and very obviously to me, about five miles down the road is a tornado <laughs> on, on the ground. And I, I'm here with two Brazilians. Who, who never <laughs> one who is about to move to the state. One who is about to move to the state. And this, <laughs> this lady from Topeka, who I don't think was a native of Kansas, and I'm a bit of a storm chaser. And I really, really wanted to go follow that tornado, Romlo, but I did not because <laughs> your safety was priority. Um, but uh, that's that's a story is not necessarily related. But I, I got to know you and your your dad that day and and the relationship you had. So I mean, tell us more about your dad. What what he did for a living and and how that influenced what you've become today. Yeah, and I'll get there just in a second. But you know that day when we saw the tornado, that was for was our, the first time that we were seeing a tornado. Of course, right? Being from Brazil, we don't really have those. And probably if I would have translated what you said to my dad and let's go chase it, he would have jumped right in. Missed opportunity. But I probably just translated it, uh, <laughs> saying that you didn't want to go. So that was the <laughs> first tornado I've ever seen, by the way, too. So. Yeah, well, that's in, that's incredible. Yeah. Well, that showed me that uh, life in Kansas would be exciting. Exactly. So. <laughs> right. Oh uh, no, but but my dad, he was a very hardworking guy. You know, he was just like a guy of principle, and he, as I mentioned before, growing up on a farm and learning all those um, all the principle that we learned by 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 coming from that background, right, and started working at such a young age and. 
um, <clears throat> my 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 granddad he had not only the farm but he also had a factory of of pasta right yeah, so yeah. so when my dad became a little bit older he started working there as well just like started cleaning things mm -hmm. cleaning the, the 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 factory and um from there he grew up until the, he was a manager of that um of that factory um but he wanted to study agriculture that was his where his passion lied right and so uh he 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 went out and That was a funny story, actually, because my granddad wanted him to be like a, an administrator, mm. right? Businessman type. So he got his dad's money and went to study. But actually, he was studying to do agronomy because <laughs> that's what he really liked, right? Yeah. So he was, eh, okay, well, you pay me, pay for school, and he went to 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 study. But uh, secretly, he was studying to to do agronomy. Oh, his dad didn't know. His dad no. He, <laughs> he thought he thought he was uh, he was paying for a businessman to come out of there, and yeah. he actually paid for an agronomist, right? So wow. ba back at that point in time and his dad being a, a stubborn Italian as mm -hmm. he was that didn't go very well but things uh, fell fell in place right mm -hmm. <laughs> so so he really uh, he went and he he studied agronomy in Rio Rio de Janeiro in Brazil so he couldn't ask for a nicer place to leave no. <laughs> right and um, after that Uh, my granddad he had a, a farm that was just like a it was almost like a swamp uh, in a faraway part of the country kind of in the middle of nowhere there in Brazil as well and um, so in order to make amends right they agreed that my dad now that he was an agronomist he would go there and make that farm work because mm -hmm. that, that point was just a swamp right right and so my granddad said okay well you're an agronomist right so now you go and you make that thing work make it make money for me And they agreed, okay, but when he's making money, I'm out of there, right? Yeah. I'll go, I'll fix it for you, we make amends, and then when he's making money, we sell it, and I'm out of there. Mm -hmm. Okay, so that was the deal. So he went to live in the middle of nowhere, and, and based on what he was telling me, it was like there were those anacondas, you know, wow. every now and then, there was uh, jaguars, and I mean, <laughs> he, he wouldn't eat beef because it was so expensive, so he was eating... Um, any kind of wildlife that you can find. Wow. Armadillos and that type of stuff, right? <laughs> that, that, that was his diet. So whenever <laughs> he could get a hold of some steak, that was, that was awesome for him, right? Wow. So, so he was saying, yeah, well, at that point in time, I was preferring to eat steak than deer meat or something mm -hmm. like that, just because what he had every day was just wildlife. Wow. So he went to that swamp and, and he kind of made it work. He, uh, with what he had learned in school, he created a, an automated irrigation system where he, he was just like a gravity flow type of irrigation. So he created all that system and they started producing rice there. Um, uh, so it took him about a couple of years to do that. And after those two years, he said, well, things were beautiful and, and you know, it wasn't the swamp that it was before. Now it was actually a farm. Um, but then I guess my granddad didn't keep his side of the bargain oh, there no. and he said, well, now he's making money. Why don't you stay there? Right? <laughs> <laughs> so there was another argument that they had and, 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 um, that didn't go well with my dad at that point. And so he just, he didn't, he couldn't live there anymore. Um, he, at that point in time, he and my mom, they were exchanging letters. Mm -hmm. Right. There was no email or anything. There was actually, there was no energy there. Did he meet her at school? Um, they met through a friend actually. Okay. Because my mom, she was living in a different. Uh, she was from Curitiba, which is the capital, right? 
and she's dating this guy. He's living in the middle of nowhere mm-hmm. and writing her letters on the moonlight because they don't have energy, right? And no. so, <laughs> so it was a it was a nice story. They they kept those letters. Uh, I mean, over three hundred letters or something that they wrote each other. So. It's a nice, nice story, but he left there and he found, he, he actually went to work for this job as a as an agricultural researcher and extension in dry beans, mm-hmm. and that's uh, in the city where I lived. And so he got married to my mom. They moved there. Uh, it's a very, very red soil mm-hmm. in that part of the world. Um, kind of similar to what you have in Oklahoma there, with a very, very uh, oxidized soils and. Uh, my mom, as a dentist, wearing white every day and coming from the capital, <laughs> right? <laughs> she said that she was crying every day in the beginning there because it, nothing was keep clean. But <laughs> yeah, yeah, imagine. Uh, but they, they, they developed, and uh, you know, the the city developed a lot, and we they had a great life there. And so that's that's where he started his career as an agronomist and his career as a, as a researcher working with edible beans. Okay, great. So. Your grandpa then, was he first generation in Brazil from, from Italy? He was, yeah. And actually, he was married. My grandmother, she was a Brazilian native. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, okay. yeah. So, that's, uh, uh, he was a first generation. And, and he was one of those typical <laughs> stubborn Italian men. Yeah. <laughs> what brought him What brought him to Brazil? There was a very strong immigration uh, to Brazil from Italians uh, back in the some sometime in the 1900s there, mm-hmm. uh, mostly because of land and 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 working on the land, mm-hmm. right? So they would come to Brazil with the promise that they would get some land after working a few years in existing, or or actually even get some land upon arrival to something like that. Mm. So Brazil is a very diverse country in terms of uh, ethnicity because there was a very strong Italian immigration. So depending where you go in the country, it's very heavy in Italian. Uh, background, German immigration as well. So there are parts of the country that are very heavy in German immigration. Japanese. Mm-hmm. The city where I grew up is actually the, the capital of Japanese immigration in Brazil. Mm-hmm. Um, so very, very diverse uh, background in ethnicities in Brazil. Yeah. And you're married to a lady named Giovanna, which seems very <laughs> Italian to me. Exactly, yeah. So she as well. Yeah. So... Tell us more about, uh, you refer to your dad working for extension service. Is it very similar to what we call extension here in the U.S.? No, it's actually quite different, I would say, uh, in terms of where it comes from, right? Extension here in the U.S., mostly you have the land-grant system, which is just like a um, an amazing system, mm-hmm. to put it that way, right? And how it started uh, back in the 1860s there. It's just a beautiful story, and I wish we had something like that mm-hmm. in Brazil. But the extension there, so so here, right, just for folks, if they are not 100% familiar with how it works, but Everland Grant Institution, they have research that is supposed to meet local needs. Mm-hmm. Uh, then they have teaching to make sure that we have uh, students graduating from this region here. And you have the extension, which gets that those research findings and bring into the communities. So it's all within the same institution, research, extension, and teaching. In Brazil, it's more separated, mm-hmm. right? So you have research, uh, institutions that do research, and actually my dad was in one of those. But his nature, he was an extension guy. You know, he was just out there, and he was just telling things in a way that it was funny for growers to, to learn. And, and, and so 
So his nature was an extension guy. So he was always making extension programs, whatever. He was doing research as well. Uh, so he was a little bit of an outlier in that sense, that he was doing a lot more extension than probably he he was getting credit for or, or he needed to. But you, extension in Brazil is done by a completely separate organ mm-hmm. than the one doing research. And so there's a little bit of a gap there, right? Because in my program, I like to bring growers whatever we did that year. What did we right. learn this season? Yeah. Right? And so if, if I'm not doing that research, how can I actually answer those questions that growers had about that season? It's kind of a little bit hard. So it's a separate, it's a different system with separate uh, systems doing each piece. Mm-hmm. Did you go with your dad to meetings? Did you watch him do his extension thing? <laughs> uh, yeah, I went to a few. Yep, the ones that were more PG thirteen because he was because <laughs> 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 he could go, he could, he yeah, he could go out there. So <laughs> it's a little lively, huh? Yeah. <laughs> so what is that? Why you decided you you wanted to be an agronomist, an extension per- person? How did how did you end up down the path you're on? Uh, that was a big influence, absolutely, yeah. So, as I mentioned before, just going down to the farm and every weekend and spending it with my dad and seeing how good of an agronomist he was, he, you could talk to him about mineral nutrition and he had his knowledge there, plant physiology and plant ecology and whatever, you know, he was just a very complete agronomist. So, that was inspiring to me mm-hmm. to learn about that and, and and trying to see how he was teaching that and maybe do something along the li- those same lines. He tried to steer me away from that, of course. He he, he helped me get, whenever I first got, get, got into college, he helped me get a uh, an internship in plant breeding, which I stayed there for, for my entire college degree, which was very, very enlightening. Um, I think that he knew that breeders get paid more. Mm-hmm. So right. <laughs> that's why he steered me in that direction. Um, but uh, And I really enjoyed that. It was great for me to, to work with that. It was uh, edible bean breeding. Uh, now, what, what is interesting there is that edible beans, it has three seasons in the year where we're from. You have a wet season, a dry season, and a winter season. Mm-hmm. So in one year, you plant and harvest it three times. Wow. Right? So it's, uh, it's very, very intense. Uh, and, and I really enjoyed it. I learned a lot there, including that uh, probably wasn't the career path that I was looking for. Right. <laughs> I really enjoyed the agronomy side of things that uses varieties as a tool mm-hmm. but has many other tools as well so that's kind of where i end up focusing but definitely a big influence from uh, just seeing him in his uh, in his environment there and, and growing up uh, learning from him well that plant ble- plant breeding background has to serve you well i mean in your current line of work right i mean you, you know a little bit about how it works definitely does i was on the applied side of the breeding right mm-hmm. so i was evaluating lines that were about to be released and uh i remember uh doing you know i think that in, by the end of my undergrad i i was graduating with a thesis that we had over uh 25 experiments which which is huge for an undergraduate degree mm-hmm. um then coming uh that, that really gave me a lot of background and a lot of what i learned there i used until today Mm-hmm. So in a lot of the work that we do today, we still use the tools that I was uh, learning back at that point in time. And that's that's what I nice thing about research is that you're always learning, right? And you learn something new today and you say, okay, well, this can actually complement a lot of what I was doing before. And, and, and that's the beauty of, uh, of doing research. It's always you're building on previous knowledge. Mm-hmm. 
some days when you when you know now how complex wheat is, do you dream of going back to dry beans at all, or are you, are you happy, <laughs> happy in the wheat world? Oh, I'm happy. Oh, I, I, I need to admit, though, that I know that there's quite a bit of dry beans grown in, in northwest Kansas now. Right, yeah. Um, and I have discussed with some of those growers before, and, uh, you know, I've been very curious uh, but it's not like I need more things to do, so I haven't no. really dwelled. Yeah. I, I know <laughs> in, what you do, and you do not need more things to do. So, you know, Brazil, you've, you, you've, you've decided you're going to this career path, uh, kind of following in your father's footsteps, and, and you could have done that in Brazil, I imagine. So at, at what point did you consider and decide you wanted to pursue your education in the United States? So when I was uh, going through college, right, in that uh, 18 to 22-year-old time frame, I was just very adventurous, right? I, just, I, w- I was wanting to get to know the world. Mm-hmm. So at one point in time, I went to, to Argentina for a summer internship, um, and, and I got there, and they were like, what are you doing here? It's time for it to be on the beach in Brazil, right? Because it was summer there. <laughs> yeah. And so, well, I'm kind of like I wanted to know a new place, and, and that was a very neat place. I was living in Salta. Uh, it's a city that is uh, in the north uh, west part of Argentina near Bolivia there and uh, it's very near the uh, the Andes as mm-hmm. well um, so so that was a very nice experience it was only eight weeks but every weekend I was traveling and getting to know things around and during the week I was working there um, then my university had um, an exchange program that was a collaboration between the university where I was at and another university in Brazil with uh, Oklahoma State University and the University of Arkansas here in the U.S. Mm-hmm. So it, it was a reciprocal exchange program, right? However many American students will go to Brazil uh, is the same number of students who would come to the U.S. Okay. Uh, paid for, partially paid for by the governments of both countries. And when I uh, heard about that opportunity, I, that's, that's really what I wanted to do. Right. It was an undergraduate exchange program, and so I studied. I got my TOEFL exam there that was required, and, uh, and I was selected uh, within my university to, to come here for that program. At that point in time, I was still with the mentality of doing my master's and PhD. I always wanted to do that, but in my head, that was going to happen in Brazil. Mm-hmm. Right. So I come here. I come to Oklahoma State. I was uh, working there as an undergraduate, and I had the chance to do a few different internships there with the different professors. Uh, Bill Ron was one that I worked with for a while there. Um, and <clears throat> I remember, too, today I was taking a, a class that uh, Jeff Edwards, who was the wheat specialist there, he went there and he taught one class mm-hmm. out of that entire semester. It was about wheat production, obviously, right? And and I just had so many questions because I had never heard of winter wheat. Wow, really? Yeah, I had never heard of winter wheat. I mean, we grew spring wheat in our farm, sure. right? So I, I knew the basics for that. And, and I just, I, I think I bugged him a lot because I kept asking questions because I wanted to understand the differences. Sure. Uh, and a few weeks later there, he meets me again and we have a meeting and, and he offers me a master's scholarship, right? Mm-hmm. So at that point in time, things started to change because... When you see the magnitude of graduate school here, and when I mean magnitude, I mean resources, right? Right, that a student has here in the U.S. versus there in Brazil, things start getting very different, right? Okay. For 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 a bachelor's degree, I think it's uh, you know I, I don't see those differences being as large, uh, but for a master's degree and a PhD degree where the more resources you have, you expand your research, you put it in more locations if it's an applied trial or you do more measurements or 
it makes a big difference, right? And so I started considering that very seriously, but I still needed to go back home mm-hmm. and graduate, right? I was still an undergrad student, and so I did that, and uh, we have an, a mandatory internship that I worked in Cargill during okay. about a year or so. That was that was huge for me because that's when I actually got to know about 13 or 14 states in the country in depth, right? I was going, traveling to those states and going and visiting with many farmers. That's where <laughs> that story about being offered a lunch by sure. a farmer happened. And so yeah. I really got to know the country as I wouldn't have if it wasn't for that internship, right? And so that was life-changing for me as well. And what I learned there, I use until today as well. Yeah, right? We're doing yield estimates and things like these for a uh, for forecasting crop production. So that was a huge learning for me. But at that point in time, I knew that I wanted to come back and do my master's, mm-hmm. right? Just because the amount of resources that we have here, I wasn't sold in doing it on wheat or any other crop. I had the opportunity to do it on wheat. And I had been working most of my life either with soybeans or corn or wheat in the farm or dry beans in, in my internship there. And so either of those four, I'll be comfortable working with. And wheat is where the opportunity was, and, and that's how I kind of got back to grad school here and, and, and with that mentality of taking the most out of the resources that are available. What was your first impression? I mean, you, you, you come from Brazil, that exchange program to Oklahoma State. What was your first impressions of agriculture in the central U.S.? Well, uh, let's uh, come back to that background that I was coming from a region with 80 inches of rainfall a year and where we were in our farm growing um, seven crops in three years. Yeah. That's our intensity, right? Yeah. So there was no no downtime. Um, so the first impression that I had in agriculture in Oklahoma was very wheat-wheat based, right? Mm-hmm. Wheat after wheat after wheat and dual purpose and things like this. So it was, wow, how different things were in terms of everything. What they do with the crop, they graze the crop. I had never thought about that. Wow. <laughs> I never thought about that yeah. being possible. You graze a wheat crop and then you harvest it. That was completely new for me, uh-huh. right? Um, the efficiency that those guys were using their water as well. We yeah. never, I never thought about water use efficiency because water wasn't a concern. <laughs> it wasn't right. Yeah. We actually need to think about uh, sunlight use efficiency there, <laughs> right? Because when it's not raining, you need to use that sunlight, and so um, it's a different mentality. And and the intensity was much lower as well in terms of number of crops grown yeah. per year. Uh, it was one crop per year on average. And if you go to the Panhandle of Oklahoma or Western Kansas, sometimes we're even talking about a wheat fallow system, mm-hmm. right? or a wheat sorghum fallow system, where it took me some learning curve to understand the reason for that. And it makes complete sense when you understand it. Um, but it's just a different mentality. Different things are important. You guys need to be more efficient with the every single drop of water that you have. Uh, we have that, you can say, that luxury of having almost too much water sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. So you got your master's degree, Oklahoma State, pursued your Ph.D., also at Oklahoma State, um, staying in wheat, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yep. Yep. Uh, Jeff uh, Edwards, my advisor back then, he offered me, you know, about when I was uh, about a year into my master's, he offered me a position on PhD and he said, um, but I want you to feel free to look for whatever you want. Mm-hmm. Know that you have a home here if you want. Um, but the offer that he made me was almost impossible to, to say no to, right? Right. <laughs> because he pretty much told me you can do... You, you have this one research project to take care of, 
other than that, this, the dissertation is yours. It's going to be your idea. It's going to be your projects. And that gave me a lot of leeway, a lot of uh, independence in what I wanted to do and that I could pursue those high-yielding wheat uh, management styles that I've always enjoyed, mm -hmm. right? And so even though I looked around a little bit and I talked to a few different universities, the decision was, uh, was fairly easy um, because I actually had the freedom to, to work with... Uh, kind of whatever topic I, I, I chose to, which doesn't happen very often in academia. Right. right. Very often the funds are already, you know, assigned to a given project, and yeah. when we're a student, you need to get that project done. So what was your dissertation? I uh, was looking at the limits of productivity for wheat in the U.S. Southern Great Plains. How far can we push? Yeah. And that's what I was looking at. That's where my my passion lied. And so, yeah. yeah. Okay, well, let's go on to my favorite topic, which is, K-State. <laughs> See, you, you got your PhD and, and um, the opening position for the extension wheat production specialist in K-State. So tell us the story behind that. You know, when you want to make your career in academia, you depend on, of course, being very efficient with your time and, and writing publications and things like this. But you depend on luck as well. Mm -hmm. Right. For how many years was Jim Schroyer in that position? Thirty plus. Yeah. Thirty-five. All right. What are the odds that it would open exactly when I was graduating? Right. Right. And so you depend on luck. I, I, I always say this. You know, you need to make sure that your hard work is done. Yeah. But you need to count a little bit on some serendipity as well. Sure. Right. And and things just align. Uh, as I was in my last year, this position came open. I had been in a program doing a very similar work for the last five years or so, four years at the time. So it made sense, uh, you know, especially it, it was the wheat specialist position in the biggest wheat producing state of one of the biggest wheat producing countries of the world, mm -hmm. right? So right. Uh, so, it, so it made complete sense that I would at least apply for that. Um, and honestly, at that time, I was in doubt whether to stay in the U.S. or go back to Brazil, right? Having all my family back there and everything. But uh, it was attractive enough that I needed to to apply, mm -hmm. and I, as I applied to that position, I had been interviewing for industry as well, and I remember getting an offer from industry, a pretty good one actually, and but I had this interview coming up, and I had to say no to that position, not even knowing if I was going to get this this position mm -hmm. here in Kansas or not, simply because of the the magnitude of it, right, and, and how much I wanted to do this, and so. Um, the timing was really good. Again, that serendipity thing, right? The, the, the lucky uh, aspect. So timing was really good. I had to advance my degree a little bit. So uh, I cut one chapter short, my dissertation, because I had one fewer semester. Uh, that's when K-State wanted me to start here. But I came and I did the interview and things uh, went well. Um, I got an offer uh, not, not too long after that. And after some negotiation, things uh, went, went really smooth. And so... Um, yeah, so I cut a semester short on my PhD and started here uh, in August of 2015. So you weren't necessarily destined for academia. You had offers, you said, from the private sector, and 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 this position came up at K-State. So, I mean, is it research that kind of drove your decision-making on that? It was. Uh, I had had the, the experience of working on the industry before, mm -hmm. Cargill in Brazil right. there for about a year. I knew how things work to some extent, at least. Um, and I wanted to at least to start my career in academia. That's mm -hmm. that's something that I've always wanted to. Again, coming from 
the background where I watched my father doing that. That's kind of what I, I wanted to at least start my, my career and see what it would happen, right? Many people, they, they don't feel that way. They kind of want to even leave academia. Some people are not as prone to the amount of uh, writing and, and bureaucracy that there is in academia, right? right? And But that part doesn't bother me. I actually enjoy the, the writing piece and, and things like this. And so I wanted to start in academia, uh, and that start has been going on for six, seven years already. So <laughs> yeah, I think that beyond a start. So the interview process. Well, I mean, were you uh, were you trying to sell yourself to K State, or you feel like they were trying to recruit you, or a little bit of both? Well, I I think that maybe well, for sure I was trying to sell myself. Right. <laughs> That's uh, I, I was doing the best that I could to to put my foot in the door here and. Uh, and I think that they were very open, even though, you know, this is an extension position where you're out there with growers a lot. Uh, they were open to hiring an international mm-hmm. person, right, which which um, shows a lot of, uh, well, you know how it goes, right? We need to be able to relate to growers in exactly. this position. Right. Uh, but I, I, I have the feeling that they understood that I would be able to do that. So, so what did you do your first day on the job? Do you remember? I went around, yeah. <laughs> just went around, just uh, just talking to different people. My office at the time, uh, they were on the process of getting a new nice desk like this one here, and they were um, uh, there was no computer for me or anything, so I just walked into a, pretty much an office with, with a very old <laughs> yeah. desk and a very old computer, and I said, well, I'll just walk around. Yeah. So I just went around making the rounds and, and, and getting to know people for the, probably a good two or three weeks. That's what I, that's what I did. That was the first part of our conversation with Romulo Lolato from K-State. Thanks to Romulo for sharing about his background, his journey from Brazil to Kansas. We'll continue that conversation on the next episode. Wheat's on Your Mind is brought to you by the Kansas Wheat Commission and the Kansas Association of Wheat Growers. If you have questions or comments about this podcast or suggestions for topics to cover, please email us at podcast at kswheat.com.